Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I am Annie McManus. Welcome to Changes Revisited. On this episode, you are going to hear from two very prominent people in the UK, both big personalities in their own right and both with unbelievable stories of extreme change. Today, we are revisiting Ramesh Ranganathan and Katie Price. Okay, first up is Ramesh, one of the UK's most successful comedians, as well as a presenter, actor, podcaster and author of two memoirs. Ramesh is pretty much all over your television. Uh, We spoke back in September 2020 and since then he's won another BAFTA for his comedy show Ranga Nathan, become the presenter of The Weakest Link, replacing Anne Robinson, released season four of Rob and Ramesh versus on Sky, which is genuinely the funniest thing I've seen on television. It makes me nearly piss myself laughing when I watch it it's the only I very rarely laugh out loud at tv but that program just I just it just gets me um and he's released a new comedy series for the BBC which he co-wrote and stars in called Avoidance but as you will hear in this conversation Ramesh has experienced seismic changes in his life before he even thought about becoming famous his whole world was turned upside down as a child his home his school his family and later in life he also changed careers in a very inspiring and extreme way here he tells us about his childhood change when I was very young I was at a private school and, you know, my mum and dad, when they came over, they were very uh, keen to, you know, one of the reasons they came over from Sri Lanka was to give us the best possible start. So they're obsessed with us going to private school, you know, they wanted to give us the best chances and all that stuff. And so my mum and dad came over sort of late 70s, sort of mid mid to late 70s. And then what happened was, we, we were completely unaware of this, but my dad was going through some issues at work, ended up, basically in a short course of time, I reckon maybe over a six-month period, three big things happened. Uh, one was that our house got repossessed because my my mum and dad couldn't pa- keep up the payments anymore. My mum also found out that my dad uh, had been seeing another woman for quite a while, so their relationship was thrown into turmoil. And then, just sort of as that was all caught playing out, my dad got arrested and uh, sent to prison. Those three things happened... Like very very quickly, it was it it went from like being properly, I guess, idyllic, you know, proper textbook, yeah. comfortable childhood, and then everything just went, you know, very very quickly, kind of got turned upside down. How old were you? This happened when I was about twelve, twelve, thirteen, something like that. Right, right. And so, what did that mean for your life? And obviously, your house got repossessed, so you had to move somewhere. Mm. Where did you go? Initially, we moved into a house that my dad was renting from a friend and then couldn't afford to do that anymore. So we ended up, um, actually, what happened is we ended up living in a, a bed and breakfast because the council, we, we had to go to the council for to, to rehouse us. Right. Um, 
and they didn't they had a waiting list or whatever so they put us into a, a, a bed and breakfast just outside of Crawley where I'm from that was just my mum my brother and I because my dad at that point I think wanted to live with this other woman I think that that, that was the, that was the the situation at that time and so he wasn't with us so it was my mum and my brother and uh, myself in that place and then while my dad was was at this other woman's place he got he got picked up by the police so we, we were kind of we were on a, we, we we were sans dad for that period did you get to speak to your dad before he went to prison no not really i mean the the truth is is that i i i really hero worship my dad and so mm. it sounds mad now but i just refused to believe that my dad was seeing this other woman even though my mum had caught them and I remember thinking that my mum was delusional or I think that was wishful thinking. I just, I just really wanted my mum to be wrong. And so I, I didn't say to my mum, I think you've got it wrong. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, there's no way my dad would do this. There's no way that dad would do this to us. I obviously love my dad, but properly put him on a pedestal. So I just didn't accept it. And, um, and so I didn't talk to him at all. And, and so I, I, for a long time... I operated under the illusion that this was all some kind of misunderstanding. Mm. And and so I was going to see my dad again and he was going to tell me that, God, Romesh, I don't know where all of this is coming from. I, you know, I, 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 but then I remember being out with my mum and dad and they were having a big argument. This is just as this whole thing had been uncovered, this relationship with this other woman, and I was still un, in denial about it. And I remember my dad saying you know, I haven't seen her for ages or I haven't seen her for a while now. I don't know why you're going on. And that, and although my dad saw that as a defence, actually what he'd done was confirm to me that this thing had been going on. Right. And I remember, I didn't say anything at the time, but the, it, I, I remember having like a visceral reaction. I was like, oh shit, like this is real. Like my dad was seeing this woman, you know? And, and then, of course, once that happens, then everything my mama said in the run-up to that, I suddenly realised is true. So when my, so my mum had been saying, he wants to leave us in this house and go off with this other woman. All of that I thought was bullshit because I didn't, you know, I thought, I didn't think she was lying. I thought she was misguided. I thought she, you know, she, she'd got it wrong. And so, and suddenly I'm like, oh shit. So that does mean that that was right. My dad did want to leave. You know, my dad did want to go off and start a new, well, not start a new family. My dad did want to go and set up a new life with this woman. My dad did want to leave us with mum. All of those things suddenly become true. So then you're processing all of those things in one go, you know. So I remember it was a proper, like, uh, head fuck. <laughs> and also the age that you were, so 13, just when you're coming into teenage, just when you're getting really self-aware and self-conscious and awkward. Yeah. Just all of that happening in six months in that time must have just fucked with your head. Yeah, it was crazy. My brother, my I remember my brother reacting we reacted in very very different ways my brother started throwing like massive tantrums and he'd like walk out and how younger is he he's two years younger than me he's two years younger than me so he would like flip out and lose his shit and 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 and, uh go off and I internalized it a lot so much so that I I overheard one of my mum's friends saying to my mum it doesn't feel like Romish is properly processing this like I overheard this conversation you need to have a chat with him to see how he's dealing with this because I just it's one of those things where I think if you start reacting to it, it makes it more real. So I was just kind of being totally a, bit, get it. a bit 
kind of this is all going to go away at some point or you know it's going to be like it's going to be one of the it's a dream sequences and and I'm going to wake up and it's like it's going to be all right so um so yeah it was it was it was a weird one to to process and I I think the truth of it is is I kind of let it define me for a few years after I don't think I fully processed it at the time and it took a few years for it to fully unwind you know the impact of that in terms of how I felt about my dad and how I'd been to my mum and 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 the the social implications of that in terms of the fact that you know we were in a comfortable situation and then all of a sudden that got taken away and a lot of my mum and dad's friends disappeared right and then I was I was going from a private school to a comprehensive um, and settling into all of that and then trying to figure out how much of that I was going to divulge to people you know all of those kind of things you kind of you're dealing with there's loads of different things that you're, you're trying to figure out how to play if you like you know and then also just moving from your childhood home into a bed and breakfast I mean that is that must have been so unsettling yeah, and the, strange for you yeah the, tr- the transition thing was crazy right because because we were in this bed and breakfast and I was still I think my mum and dad were still trying to figure out a way because they were worried about unsettling us by moving schools so they were still trying to figure out desperately a way to keep us at the schools we were at but you know it was it was too late by then but because I, I was getting things like you know accountants were turning up to my lessons at school and giving me like last demands and stuff like that because my parents had fallen so far into arrears at this school but I remember being in a, a production like I was in a play or something at the at the school. And this is like, so it was weird. I was in this two world thing where I was still at that school, but living in a bed and breakfast. And already being at that school and, and coming from Crawley, there's a bit of a stigma attached to coming from Crawley. That, you know, everybody at the school th- thought Crawley people were like common. And so this is this thing that I was trying to deal with. Right you know going to that school and then all of a sudden I was living in this bed and breakfast I absolutely did not want anyone at the school to find out this has happened because they already think that I'm you know working class kind of like don't shouldn't be at the school kind of thing so I was worried about that and my mum obviously couldn't pick me up from this play it was like an evening performance and so this other this other kid's mum said I'll drop you off I'll drop you off at your house so I was like, okay, but at the same time, I don't want them. There's a massive sign outside the bed and breakfast. Right? So I don't want them to know that I live in a bed and breakfast. Yeah. So I'm thinking on the way, and, and weirdly, I guess, because he had so much, I, I, it only occurred to me that this was a problem as I got into the car at the school for them to give me a lift back. So yeah. I thought, I, I was thinking, what the hell am I going to do? So it was like that scene, you know, where Rodney in Only Fools and Horses gets dropped off at a different house yeah. right? because he's too ashamed to show Cassandra where he really lives. That's what I basically did. I, I, I asked them to drop me off at this house down the road from the bed and breakfast and then kind of waited on the driveway for them to go. But she yeah. wouldn't because obviously she's like... She, she wanted to want see to... you in the door. <laughs> oh, no. What did you do? Did you have to go up to the I front sort door? Of, I sort of snuck... I sort of said, well... I said, well, my, 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 they're not going to... They're not going to want to come to the front. I, I normally go around the back. And I just sort of oh, walked... No. I went to walk down this side alley, kind of disappeared into the darkness of this <laughs> house. That I've got no idea who this house belonged to. Oh, my God. And then just waited for her to go. Oh my god! How long were you in the B and B for? How long did that period last? Uh, like maybe uh, it must have been about a year, and then maybe just under, and then they put yeah. us into into uh, a, a flat, and then eventually yeah. a house. 
And then at what point did your dad get out of prison and did he kind of enter your life again, your family unit? So when, when he was in prison, um, he ended up getting moved to uh, a low security, like an open prison. He was at Ford Open Prison. And, and so he had cut things off with this uh, this other woman. And actually what had happened was is, I think he'd had, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a word that is less eggy than epiphany, but I, I, I think he'd had this realisation that he'd been, he'd been a bit out of order, I guess, and, and he, he realised that he didn't want to leave the family or I don't know, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of how my mum mum and him reconciled, but he, he'd made the decision he was going to come back to us after after coming out of prison. And so, he started to get these home visits where you're allowed to, while you're still in prison, you're allowed to go and visit your family. You're allowed out for the day. And so while he was inside, he'd come and spend the day with us. Right. And obviously for me, that was amazing because it's, it's, a, it's a normality. You sort of think, well, this is great. I'm seeing my dad. And so I started to see, we started to see him while he was in prison. And then as soon as his prison yeah. sentence finished, I think it was only in for about a year. He was sentenced to two years, but he'd, he'd spent some time in custody while the court case was going on. So there's time served, etc. And so we went from visiting him in prison to him visiting us. And then when he, when he finished uh, his sentence, he came and lived with us again. And yeah. And so he was back with us, but it wasn't, you know, my my mum has never really healed from all of that, you know, because my dad was, my dad didn't just see that woman. My dad was quite promiscuous in in the early in the in the early years of my of his marriage with my mum, and my mum had him back, and they made up, but they were still arguing all the time. You know, my mum, it was it was still my mum would still come back to. That what he'd done to her and she, he'd, she'd still throw that up in discussions and I remember talking to my mum about it and saying to her you need to make a decision about whether you forgive him or not you know if you don't if you don't forgive dad because you can't get over this then you need to split up with him and this is much later I came up you know I had this conversation you need to split up with him because because this isn't this isn't good but if you are going to stay with him then you can't keep bringing the not that you can't mention it ever but you can't keep having a fresh argument about these things over and over again, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, my dad, my dad moved back in with us and I had a, a difficult relationship with him uh, when he first moved back with us because I, uh, I uh, had a dad back who I knew that wanted to leave us. And so that was a difficult thing to, to, to reconcile with as a kid. And I remember when I was about 17 or 18, because I'll be honest with you, I turned into a bit of an arsehole after all that happened. You know, I became, you imagine rebellious teenager, but turned up because I really stopped giving a shit about things because of the way that everything had been turned upside down. I really did think, I don't give a fuck anymore. You know, I don't give a shit about my exams. I don't give a shit about attending school. I don't, you know, I don't, I really was sort of, I did go off the rails a little bit. And so when I went to uni, I was, I was pretty inconsiderate. I, I, I'd go out and I'd come back whenever I felt like. And, and I remember one night, I came back from a night out and I hadn't told them when I was coming back. And, and obviously they'd, they'd obviously been a bit worried. I probably said I was going to be back at early evening and came back really late. And my dad had a go at me about it. He said, you can't keep, you know, you, we're worried about you. You keep going out. You don't tell us when you come back. It's inconsiderate. You're treating yeah. this place like a hotel. 
and I just absolutely unloaded on him. Like, I just went, like, how can you even begin to tell me what I should do as a son, the way that you've treated this family, blah, blah, blah. Just went into this monologue. Everything I'd wanted to say to him just came out in this one thing. And Mm. I've got to be honest with you, you know, I've told this story to friends and stuff before. My dad did not defend himself at all. He just sat there and kind of took this rant from me. And, you know, as I'm telling you it now, the look on his face was just absolutely heartbreaking, man. Like, like, like it was like he was hearing everything that he mm-hmm. thought as well. You know, like I, I was saying to him everything. I was saying to him the worst things that you'd want a son to say to you, you know, and, and he wasn't even defending himself. He just sat there and, oh God, it's horrible. He just sat there and kind of took it. And then I stormed out of the house and we never spoke about it again. And... um I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it was a horrible thing. I mean, my mum says to, I've talked to my mum about it since then. And she said, I'm actually glad you said it in a way because he needed to hear it because he, he had been, you know, the way he had treated us had been horrible. Right. And actually that's a form of accountability of hearing how your, your kids felt about it. But at the same time, I'd much rather that had happened in a reasoned series of, you know, discussions sure. where we're getting it out and you made me feel like this and separating the man from his actions and, and dealing with it in a, in, in a, in a more measured way. Yeah. The truth is I just went into this horrible rant and, and, and I, I think about the look on his face now. It's just, it's horrible even, you know, I'm sort of getting upset about it now as I'm telling it to you now. It, it was a horrible thing. It was a horrible thing. Did did your relationship change with him after that? Like once you got it out of your system, what, did you feel lighter? Did your attitude change to him? Yeah, I mean, it was it was like magic, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like when my my dad passed away a few years ago, and we were we were closer than we'd ever been. You know, my, my dad was close to my mum. We, you know, we had I had kids. My dad was amazing with my with my kids and um, really loving with them and. As soon as that kind of got cleared out of the way, the rest of my dad's life was spent trying to make amends for what he'd done. So, right. you, you know, he was he was trying to make enough money to put my mum in a nice house to make up for the fact that he lost the house in the first instance. Mm. You know, he ended up buying a house beyond his means, really, because he was so desperate to, to make it right. Um, he was so lovely to my mum. And they got really, really close. But my mum still would throw up things from his past and stuff mm. like that. But my dad would just take it because I think he kind of saw it as I really, I really did mess you about. The least I can do is take, is, yeah. is take my medicine, do you yeah. know what I mean? For, for yeah. what I did. So, so I think that he never really reacted. I, you know, in the past I'd seen him have arguments and, and, and fire back because I think he wanted out of that relationship mm. or he felt like he did. But when in the later part of his life, you know, after all of that happened, I think he kind of saw it as, I've just got to take this because I, I, I mistreated this woman. You worshipped him as his eldest son. Yeah. And then you kind of had this traumatic discovery that he was totally flawed. How has that affected you? The way that you had to learn, as everyone does have to learn about humanity, being yeah. people being fallible. You had to learn in a fucking brutal way, right? When you were young. 
how has it affected you like for the rest of your life and has that do you think fed into the way that you approach comedy like having this kind of early kind of trauma I guess you know of, of learning the reality of people yeah, I mean, the, tr- the, the honest truth is... Because you're a I catastrophist, be- aren't you? You're like, you, you, that, that, I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, there's got to be a link there, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% a catast- catastrophist. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I constantly... You know, people like people often say to me that I, I, I don't ever stop working or I've got my work ethic is, is ridiculous. Right. And I think that comes from a combination of things. But, you know, one of those things definitely is the fact that I saw my family go from what looked like a comfortable situation to just horror. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so so there I don't I can't imagine there will ever be a point at which I think I can relax. I kind of think that I'm always going to be worried that all of this, whatever this is, is going to go away. Do you know what I mean? And so that is something that kind of that has kind of stayed with me, definitely. I, I, I do also think that it's kind of made me less worried about the traditional signifiers of what a successful life is, you know, in in terms of my dad was so after the nice house, nice car, because that is what, that is what the external signs of, 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 of having made it are. And, and I'm less bothered by that than, than I think I otherwise might have been because I just think the chase for that in itself isn't doesn't lead to kind of being happy and I don't I don't know if I would have fully grasped that had we not gone through what we'd gone through my dad's desperation for money is what led him to prison and then and then my dad passed away still trying to chase this you know when when after he died we realized that his finances were a complete house of cards and he'd been doing all this thing to try and get this nice house and you think to yourself, well this isn't the be getting a nice house or whatever and getting this shit is not the be all and end all happiness comes from different things you know and so I think that's given me that's given me that, that that I wouldn't have otherwise had and the other thing is I just wouldn't have been a comedian had I not gone through that you know because being a comedian is an is an unorthodox thing to do and I, and I think I was on the path for getting a decent job and you know getting a comfortable salary and and doing all of those things that my dad was trying to do I think I definitely would have carried on down that path but once everything kind of gets thrown upside down like that, you just think, oh, fuck it. I might as well like, you, you know, you, you, you kind of, you, 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 I think you feel more inclined to think I don't, there is no path. I don't need to follow a path because if you are following a path, you can get thrown off it so easily. So you might as well do what you really want to do and let's just see what happens, you know? So I think that that was instilled in me in in a way that otherwise might not have been. Well, there you go, grabbing life and running with it and being incredibly successful at it. But what an insane amount of change to go through as a kid. To hear more about Ramesh's changes, go back and listen to the full episode, which we will flag in the show notes. The second guest we are revisiting today is Katie Price, also known as glamour model Jordan, of course, as well as a TV personality and a best-selling author. She has six autobiographies, which goes to show the amount of life that she has lived and keeps on living. We spoke in March 2021. 
We covered so much in this episode. It was a real roller coaster ride like no other. She discussed her early days and fame, her relationships. She's been married three times, her five children, online abuse, feeling more herself. But here we revisit Katie telling us about her mental health and what was then her recent stay in the Priory and her relationship with the press. Please be aware she does reference suicide and feeling suicidal at the time, something which was being heavily discussed in the media due to Meghan Markle speaking publicly about her own experiences. We start by jumping straight into the day she went to the Priory. My mum called an ambulance in the end and said, uh, yeah, she called an ambulance and little did I know my mum called a car and the car picked me up that she said, you are going to the Priory. So I ended up at the Priory, sat in front of the doctor, burst out crying and he said, right, Kate, what do you want to do? Do you want to stay here and get help or do you not want to? And I said, no, I want to stay. And I stayed Mm. for five weeks. And I tell you what, it was the best thing I ever, ever did. And the weird thing is, now I've come out, it was over a year ago now, now I've come out of the Priory, people around me are different now because I'm so different that all what I thought was troubled and whatever, they, I don't know how they do it in there. They're so clever. They just re-noddle your brain to help you deal with situations. Yeah, yeah. That I look back at that place, because obviously I've got my private pack. I look back yeah. at that place now and think, oh my God, I would never, ever want to be in that situation. So mm. I've, I've got rid of a lot of people around me moved out the area because of the house that my house was the biggest mental thing for me whenever I spoke about my house it was like oh because obviously the affairs happened there right and the kids were the same but all the other stuff they just helped so much that people around now I'm assertive now I'm in charge people think I'm the old weak Kate and I'm not so people don't know how to handle that and you know when you say to people I have changed and they don't believe you and only time only time can prove that and well, it's been nearly a year on and everyone's like, Kate, we have to give it to you. We thought that you would crumble and go back yeah. to where and I haven't. Well done. You look amazing. Has your attitude changed to the media and how you deal with the media having come out of the Priory? Well, this is the thing, what I've learned. I know there was people around me doing stories or people around me who the press knew, knew me because it's amazing being in lockdown, how this has made me unravel everything. Because being in lockdown, you're just at home. You don't see anyone. You can't go out. And no stories were happening. So I'm like, this is my point. Stories were only happening when I'm seeing people and out and about. So it's someone I know. So basically, when you know someone, the media could probably phone someone up because they know they know me. Even though I haven't seen them, they could just make a story up or whatever. Mm. And not only that, I haven't given the media anything to write about because I'm not doing anything wrong. I haven't drank since the prior. I don't drink anymore. Well, you, you are giving them things to write about, but they're all good things, so they don't want to write about them, I presume. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be prim and proper because I'm not. I do. I love a drama yeah. and controversy. Yeah. You know, that's me, and that, I wouldn't change. I'm not perfect. But what I mean is the damaging stories, they yeah. may write, but don't realise it affects you in your head. And I think when your mental state is so broken anyway, 
they don't realise that I started getting suicidal and I was suicidal. That's why I went to the Priory because I planned how I was going to do it. I tried to do it and then I stopped. Then I couldn't and then I stopped. And I thought if it was not for my children, I would not be here today. And that's a harsh statement, but it's true. They saved me. And going in the Priory, I had to do it for my children. I know that probably sounds cliche, but it's the truth. Because I don't know if there's anyone out there who have tried or thought about it. But with me, every time I went to like do what I want, was what I planned to do, I think of my kids' faces and then my mum. Because obviously my mum's terminally ill and thought, I couldn't do that to my mum. I couldn't do it to the kids. Because I'd picture their faces going, mum, yeah. no, no mum. And that's what, why I didn't do it. So I went in the Priory, got help. And it's amazing that you meet people in there. And you're like, wow, it's not just me. They're going through the same kind of thing as me. It's normal. Yes, we can sometimes get stressed. What might be big to someone else would be small to me. Because you listen to everyone's stories in there and I'll be thinking, God, you're only in here for that. Is that it? God, imagine if you're going for hunger, but you can't say it because it affects people on different levels. Totally. It's all relative, isn't it? Yeah, mental health is massive. And what do you think, like with the Harry and Meghan interview, I was thinking about that in relation to you and Meghan talking about feeling suicidal for the, for the same reasons as being chased and trapped and vilified by the media. And then obviously Piers Morgan's left ITV. Like I know you and him have known each other for donkey's years. He's part of the system. You know, yeah. that, that kind of, you've been in the eye of the storm when it comes to the media and him. How do you yeah. feel about all that biz? Well, to be honest, whether it was Megan or anyone else sitting there saying that, I believed her. I'll tell you why. Because she was saying things that were similar to like me. Yeah. You're asking for help. You're not getting it. The media are writing stuff and there's nothing you can do about it when you know the truth. And it's like no one's listening to the truth. No one's protecting you. That is exactly what was happening to me. And then you have to go out there and put a brave face on. It was the same for me. How did you feel about what Harry said, which I thought was really interesting, about that codependency thing with the royal family needing the media in order to survive? And I, I, like, how does that apply to you? Have you ever felt trapped? Like, you have to keep doing this stuff. You have to keep exposing your life to people and blah, 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 when maybe you don't want to. Well, here's an interesting thing. Loose women. Yeah. yeah. Right? I was doing loose women for two years. I watched some of those interviews the other day, yeah. When I look back at that, it makes me feel sick because them two years was when I was bad, bad, bad mentally, bad, bad. But I still went out there and put on a brave face. I look and I think, mm. oh my God, I look at my eyes in it and I think I look dead in my eyes. But then because all the drama and that come out, I feel like saying to them, but you had me on your show when I was at my illest, but now mm. I'm fresh, you wouldn't offer me that back again. I'm not saying they wouldn't, but they wouldn't at the minute. And I feel like saying, but oh, this is me now. You, you're getting the best out of me now. Whereas then you had me at my worst. You had me when mentally I was really going through it, which mm. is weird because some people wouldn't have you on the show because they're like, oh no, you're not well enough. When in fact I wasn't well, but I was still able to perform like a seal. As I yeah. was. And were you ever able to tell anyone about how unwell you were at the time? Like, would they have had any idea, do you think, from their side? I was afraid to. I would just brush off. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm only like it because, look, this has happened again and this has happened. Like, every time we had our morning meetings, I would always come in with another drama. They're like, oh, my God, Kate, it's just exhausting. And I'd sit there thinking, 
I know, can't one of you just say, Kate, are you all right? Yeah. Um, it's like I'm trying to say, can someone ask if I'm all right? Yeah. Um, but that's why my family in that knew I was deteriorating. But then even then I'm like, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm fine. Because that's what... So what a relief. What a huge relief to just not be fine after all these years and be like, oh, okay, I'm not fine. I need help. I can't imagine how mad that must have been. What's the worst thing that can happen? What people got to remember, when you go, you can't take anything with you. You don't can't take anything with you. And do you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about your daily life as a mother of five children, as a mother of two children, the idea of five children, one who, as we know with Harvey, needs a lot of care and attention. Just the idea of being in hospital for five weeks without having to do anything and having that mental load in your head must have been so liberating in itself. Just having a holiday from your life. The priory to me, it felt safe. Yeah. And it's secure. You can't go out. That You have to be let out. You can't just open the door and think you're going to walk out. Did you like that? Was there something good about that in that you had no choice? Well, yeah, because when I look at the beginning, when I went in, there, I had no energy. I had to the point I couldn't even get on one of my horses. I couldn't even be bothered to stroke my horses, even though they're at my house. Like I had no energy. So in there, the first few days, I would just want to sleep. And they'd be like, right, Kate, you've got to come to your sessions. You know, they didn't push you mm. and they assess you. And towards the end, I kept saying to them, Do, have I got something wrong with you? Have I got ADHD or something? Because everyone just says I'm so lively and like hyper. And they went, Kate, it's your personality. That is you. And they right. said, you should be so proud of yourself because you're not on medication. And you've come through it. You've had your brain re-nodded, re like, you know. Yeah. But after five and a half weeks, I think doctors know that there's something wrong with you. Do you know what I mean? When they see you every day, you know, I even had a room check every 15 minutes. They come and check your room. They take everything off you. I had one of the smallest rooms where some people had a big room. They're like, why don't you want a big room? I went, no, I'm quite fine in my little room and my little TV. I loved it. It was like, People are listening to me. When you were talking, like in these places, as you said at the start of our conversation, you're kind of forced, sometimes maybe against your will, to look backwards at your life and the start of your life and how those events in your childhood has shaped you. How was that experience for you? Did you find that difficult? And did you learn anything about yourself in the process of that? I learned myself that um, I was becoming weak and dependent on a man around me. But when I look back at my life, it's always men and always in my job as well. Whatever I did in life, I was always getting knocked back, knocked back, knocked back, like even in the modelling or even if I did a press call. There was one time I did a press call and I was dressed as a horse, like half horse. And, you know, yeah. I like to do, I like. You always do the, the funny outfits for the press calls. Yeah, yeah. And so many times people around me be like, Kate, you can't do that. Well, I'm not getting involved in that because that's silly. And I'm like, but I know what I'm doing. It would get mm. everywhere and it's fun. Why take yourself too seriously? And then it would work. And I'll be like, see? And it's mm. always, even in my career, you'd never be able to do that. You won't be able to do that. Oh, you're, I'm doubted. And that's what drives me because I always prove them wrong. Like this situation, I was so badly low. I would never have dreamed a year on I'd be back on my feet, being able to sort out everything that was in my head bothering me when really they're not big things but they were at the time and you have a happy relationship now right you're with Carl really good yeah really good and like people now coming out the woodworks wanting to know me again but they didn't want to know me in my dark time I'm like and I say it's fine now um you didn't we weren't there for me before and I can say it now because I'm strong and I don't care and I'm mm. like look to be fair I like I like it that you're 
you've got back in contact, but to be honest, you weren't there for me when I needed you. So mm. I thought things won't be the same. You and me are the same age. We're both 42. I genuinely feel like that once you get over 40, you just give so many less fucks and, and you kind of edit your life, don't you? You edit your friends, you know what's good for you. So I can imagine your experience in the Priory of kind of finally being able to have the headspace to like get better coupled with that with like getting over that 40 yeah. mark and just like not caring as much anymore about pleasing people yeah and I knew that I'd be that I am now the best I'll ever be and now I've met Cole he's got the best Kate that there will ever ever be because mm. there's none of these demons anymore the insecurities yeah insecurities mm. don't get me wrong I still am a jealous person and needy but in a mm. good healthy way so with yeah. Cole, I've done it all properly this time with him. Everything's been done properly. My family love him. I can't believe how lucky I am to have had him. He's so amazing that I am going to marry him. He is the one. And I always... So you are definitely going to get married? Ah, uh, with him. I, 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 he's just amazing. And it's taken me 42 years to find <laughs> my prince. <laughs> and he doesn't take any shit from me. If anything, he's like, don't think you're going to be going out of your boobs and all that out. And what he says, them days are over. The the Jordan, whatever, they're over. You're a woman now. I'm not not having a woman like that. He's very much like that. And I suppose that's what I need. And I don't even try to rebel because I know he won't have it. What's next? Like you're 42, you're a businesswoman. (laughs) You've got so many things going on. What do you still want to achieve professionally? Um, we haven't even touched on the fucking you trying to change the law about trolling, which is really admirable. People have to remember, if there's a problem or you can't deal with anything in your head, talk to someone before it manifests into something bad. Talk to someone because there's always a solution. Rewind 10 years when I was strong, doing my perfumes, makeup, this and that, when my head was good. That's me again now. So it's like I raised the 10 years. I'm back to where I was. Now I was doing it again properly, my way, not being dictated by anybody out there. I'm not going to be ripped off by this manager, that manager, that company, this and that. I'm the boss of myself, nobody else. And no one's telling me what to do anymore. I will only do jobs that I want to do. Great. I don't need the fame. I don't need the status. I've, I've got that. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, that sounds big-headed. What I mean is, you know, some people do shows because they want to raise their profile or this. And I don't need that. What's important to me is setting an example. Yeah, I've been like that, but now I'm back to where I am. And I just want to enjoy what I do. And you have to find time for yourself because that's what I wasn't doing. Yes. I was doing everything for everybody else and not myself. So, like, although I showed you the page of my diary today... I've got like two, three hours in between before the kids come back. So I'm going to go and ride my horse and take the dog. And then Cole will come along with his bike next to me. And then that makes you happy because you're out in the fresh air. You're on the horse, smelling the horse, walking the dog. I just love it. (laughs) Love it. And then the kids will come back later and drive me mad. 
Katie Price. What a woman. What an absolute ball of energy. There's no denying that she has experienced a lot in her life. And of course, we must stress that if you've been affected by any of the issues raised, remember there's always someone to talk to or text. The Samaritans can be reached on 116123. And check the show notes for details outside the UK and Ireland. As with Ramesh, if you want to hear the full story, you can listen back via the link in the show notes. The whole back catalogue of changes since we launched in 2020 is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate the podcast, leave a review where you can. We have so much more in store. Thank you so much for listening, lads, and I'll see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.